Hello, hello, and welcome to Soccer Made in Portland on OregonLive.com and Stumptown Footy. My name is Chris Reifer, and joining me, as always, the Timbers and Thorns beat writer for the Oregonian and OregonLive.com, Jamie V. Goldberg. Jamie V., what's going on? Not much. Uh, it, it's still a pretty quiet week in overall in Timbers world, um, although we have some signing for signing that's going to happen that we uh got more confirmation on earlier in this week which i'm sure we'll get to but um yeah it's a little bit quiet but it is uh only um only a little bit over a week away from the start of preseason camp so that's pretty exciting Jamie goldberg goldberg i think this is a matter of like super first world problems or something like that that, you, <laughs> that you're calling this quiet because i i mean i'm just going to list three things Four things, really, that have happened since we recorded last two weeks ago. The Timbers held an introductory press conference for the new coach. <laughs> they announced all of like their their assistant coaches uh, for the upcoming year for both the first team and the second team. Uh, there has been uh, one essentially confirmed major signing. Uh, and now there are reports, really surprising reports, frankly, uh, of what could be another very significant trade for the Timbers. So uh, all of that happening within two weeks does not fit my definition of quiet. Uh, perhaps you just have have a little bit higher expectations. I, I think I just in a in a daily mode when the, when there's not just news dropping every single day, That's it, true. it feels quiet. So that a lot of that was last week. Last week was big, and then it it just needs to be news every few hours, or else. Or else it feels quiet in uh, in the sports journals. Right. Otherwise, we, we get cranky. And, and that doesn't even count the Thorns <laughs> stuff, right? Where the Thorns announced two yeah. really major trades like last <laughs> week on, on, on consecutive days as well. So, um, yeah, I'm going to go the other direction and say it has been extremely not quiet uh, over the course of the last two weeks. Uh, we'll let folks decide who is correct on this one. Uh, okay, so let's start working our way through this these ex, these two quiet or extremely not quiet weeks. Uh, and let's start. With... Well, I said this week, so just <laughs> I did not include last week in my my thought process. Fair but, enough. Although this week yes. was a a holiday, and then B today. We're recording on <laughs> Tuesday evening, so I think that's a little bit unfair. Um, that's how. <laughs> anyway, let's get to the substance. Uh, the Timbers. Uh, starting here, it looks by every indication, and by every indication, I mean like quite literally every single possible imaginable indication, are on the verge of signing Andy Polo uh, from Monarchus Moralia, a team down in Liga MX. Uh, Polo is a Peruvian international winger. He's sort of a, a part-time starter slash bench player for Peru. Uh, who, the, that Peruvian team, by the way, was, was sort of a surprise qualifier for the World Cup out of Conmebol, the South American Confederation that is really quite difficult uh, to qualify out of Peru. Uh, I think if my memory is serving it correctly, finished fifth in their qualifying. They went to uh, an inter-confederation playoff uh, for a spot in the in the World Cup against the Timbers' own Bill Tuiloma's uh, uh, New Zealand. The Peruvians over a two-leg series won that, and, the, and thus they, they qualified for the World Cup. And starting in that in that decisive game was the aforementioned Andy Polo. Uh, it's been reported that they, there have been numerous reports, numerous kind of disparate reports uh, about the transfer fee, but they seem to have coalesced around the transfer fee being around $2 million. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, it, it appears the Timbers are going to use targeted allocation money, which means that transfer fee is probably split over a couple different years at least. 
So uh, let's get into this uh, three-way question from somebody who, like, this is right off the bat, just not very good, uh, good, good hosting uh, job by me because I wrote down the question and I just didn't write down who it was from. Uh, Tom wants to know, that was a nice little bit of stalling. Good hosting uh, skills right there. Uh, stalling, good. Writing things down, bad. That's basically the scattering report on me. Uh, Tom well, is, says he's watched about 10 minutes of Polo highlights on YouTube and is not deeply impressed. Are you thinking Polo is Nagby's replacement? And what do you think of the anticipated signing? Jamie Goldberg? Yeah, I, I mean, positionally, I, I think he is uh, set to be Nagby's replacement. I, I think at the same time, they're going to be able to use the money that the team's going to be able to use the money that they got from the Nagby trade to make a multiple signing. So I, I think that money is going to be used in different, uh, different positional needs as well. But yeah, when you, when you're looking at who's going to be in the lineup, it, it very much looks like it, it is going to be Polo. I, I think he's coming off a little bit of a down uh, year or, or season um, in, in league and MX, but he is coming from a tough league. He is coming from, like you said, a Peru national team that that's been pretty good. That to, by qualifying for the World Cup. I think there's a lot of talent there. There's a lot of reason to be hopeful, but this is one of those moves that given the given how big the Nagby trade was and, and what it means for this team, this is either going to look really good if, if Polo comes in and is able to prove that he can be a consistent contributor uh, in the attack for this team, it's going to look really good for the Timbers, the, this trade. If he comes in and completely disappoints and we look at, we're looking at a guy that the Timbers are thinking of transferring at the end of the season, then we'll look back at the Nagby trade and say, the Timbers made a massive mistake. So uh, the Timbers have been saying it all along. They, they got a lot of resources from that trade, but if they don't use them well, then that doesn't matter. Then it's not a good trade anymore. So I, I think there is promise there. I, I think we'll have to see more of him and, and not necessarily 10 minutes of YouTube highlights is going to be the way to way to make a judgment yet. Uh, but, but it is a little bit of a gamble uh, just to make that trade and, and see if they can bring in uh, a new player that can be an Agby's replacement. There have been, by the way, also on my scouting report, although anybody who has listened to this podcast knows, knows that on my scouting report, turning my microphone on is like a super downside. Um, not very good at that. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, I mean, there have been a number of, there's been a lot of talk about this on, on Twitter and in comment sections and yada, 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 uh, about whether Polo is Nagby's replacement. And a lot of this has come down to, a lot of the disagreement, frankly, has come down to whether, how you're sort of using the word replacement. If you're using it to mean, is he sort of a like for like, characteristic for characteristic, replacement uh, for Nagby, then no, he's not. He's, he's a different player. Uh, he's clearly a, a much more direct winger. He's gonna, a guy that's going to use pace and that's going to try to stretch the back line, uh, use sort of pace and technicality to stretch the back line to get into the box, uh, hopefully to be, uh, the, the Timbers certainly hope, to be somebody who's going to go get into the box and, and be a goal dangerous threat. Whereas Darlington Nagby as a winger was much more of a, a possession and transition-oriented kind of guy. And so, you know, if you're talking about whether Polo, you know, sort of has those same characteristics, the answer is no. Uh, it also doesn't look like Polo has the same uh, positional versatility that Darlington Nagby had. Nagby was sort of a winger slash 10 slash 8, right? Or winger slash 8 slash 10, uh, just so you can't get on me about the order in which I put those. 
Uh, Polo, on the other hand, seems like he's sort of a, a, a winger slash forward. Uh, you can go sort of both ways from that position, but, but Polo very much appears like he is sort of the, the kind of guy that would be in, on, on, in, in any position of the front three in a 4-3-3 rather than sort of any position uh, in, in the midfield in, in a 4-2-3-1, perhaps say for a six as Nagby was. Although he did play as a six one time last year. That was weird and it kind of worked. Um, anyway, so I mean, again, if you're using replacement to talk about does he sort of replace all of those things that Nagby did, the answer is no. But if you're using replacement, uh, as I think you just used it, Jamie, in that is he sort of the the replacement for Nagby in Nagby's spot in sort of the first choice 11? Look, I, I, I think as of right now, and, and perhaps stick a pin in this uh, for our next discussion point, but as of right now, you'd have to say, yeah, uh, he is the guy that, that that is probably the clubhouse favorite. And yes, I'm already putting him in the clubhouse, uh, the clubhouse favorite to take that spot in the starting 11. Uh, the $2 million transfer fee the, that the Timbers are, are reported to being to pay for Polo, that's in the top five in club history. That is either fourth or fifth. And that's oh, I say that only because I can't remember exactly what Fernando Adi's was, but I think it was around that. Uh, you know, you've got Milano, you've got Sebastian Blanco, you've got Diego Valeri, you've got Fernando Adi, and, and you've got Andy Polo as the top five transfer fees in Timbers history. So they're not bringing this guy in to, you know, I mean, be the fifth or sixth option in the attack. Uh, they're not bringing this guy in to play 800 minutes uh, over the course of the, uh, of the season. They are signing Andy Polo to play significant significant minutes, and it's because they think he can be a difference maker at the MLS level. Are they right about that? I mean, if I'm being, you know, I've probably watched the same 10 or maybe I've watched, the, you know, 15 minutes uh, of Polo's uh, YouTube highlights. And that's, I mean, that's such a sort of a laughably small amount of information that you, I mean, I don't even, wouldn't even venture to guess based on that, whether I think he's going to be good or not. Look, I, I think if you look at his last year in Liga MX, it was very much a, a matter of a sort of a spring campaign versus a fall campaign. In the spring campaign, he scored three goals in, in 16 all-competitions appearances uh, for Morelia. Uh, and I think if you were to look at that at age 20, at age 22, you'd probably say, hey, that's not too bad. You've got a winger, you know, and wingers are not sort of, a, you know, at the same production level as a 9 or as a 10. Came in, and his first campaign with Morelia uh, put in three goals in 16 appearances. Not too shabby. On the other hand, in his fall campaign, he scored zero goals and 10 appearances, and he lost a lot of playing time and fell out of favor. That is quite shabby. Uh, and, and if the Timbers get the guy that showed up to Morelia in, in, in the fall campaign, that's troublesome. If they get the guy that, sh- the, the, that first came there and, and put in in his spring season, gosh, I, I don't think you hate that. That's, a, that's a, not a bad player for a young player that still has some upside and can improve upon that uh, and certainly could come to MLS uh, and, and make a bit of an impact. Look, if you were to stretch those three goals over the course of a 34-game season, you're looking at six to seven goals. And if you're getting six to seven goals from a winger, as we're about to talk about, you're pretty pleased. That, that's not bad at all. Uh, so, you know, it, we'll see what Polo ends up being for, for the Timbers. Clearly, they think they can get more out of him than, than Morelia did in that fall campaign. Uh, but I'm just, based on what I've seen, you know, I, I've just not seen enough to be able to to, to have my own independent opinion as to whether that's going to happen one way or, or the other. But is he here? Uh, and did the Timbers sign him with the intention sort of, of filling that first choice team spot on the right wing? Yeah. Yeah, they did. Uh, this was a little bit of a surprise in our very quiet week this week. Sam Stasekal, our good friend at MLSsoccer.com, 
the redundantly named uh, League Run website, uh, reports that the Timbers are in on the Justin Miram sweepstakes. Apparently, they've made his, his same reports. The Timbers have not only made an offer to Columbus, but it's one that Columbus sees as being sort of in the ballpark of being, the, you know, in the realm of realistic, I think is, is a reasonable way to put it. We've had subsequent rumblings the, that there are other teams that are that are in on the Miram sweepstakes because, duh. Uh, and, and so this is now kind of an ongoing story and frankly one that I did not expect to pop up on our radar. Ben from this wants to know, is this real smoke or is it a mirage? Jamie, what do you think? Do you think this is something that is that is likely to actually come together, that the Timbers are, are actually serious bidders uh, for Miram? Or do you think this is a little bit of... I guess I'm screwing up my metaphor now, but is this a little bit of a smokescreen, uh, perhaps by the crew to see if they can juice up the market a bit? I, I think that the Timbers are genuinely interested in Miram. I, I think when a guy like that comes on the market and the Timbers have extra cash to spend, that that's someone they are, are going to see if they can make a deal that's beneficial to them. I don't think that this is a priority for the Timbers by any means. I think you just look at the signing of Polo. It, it's going to put them in a different position. If they're they're assuming Polo's coming in, given the transfer fee they're paying to be a starter, and then they also bring in Merrim, that's there's a pretty crowded, um, pretty crowded on the wing there um, with Blanco in there as well. And so I don't think this is a priority for them that they need to sign him or that this is a player that they went after they wanted to target from the beginning of the offseason. I think this is probably something that's come up. And yeah, they're interested. If the deal presents itself, I think they'll make it. I also think it's very likely he Merriman's of somewhere else as well. I clearly there's other interests. I, I think if another team comes back with a better offer, the Timbers will probably back off it. Uh, I, I think from Columbus's perspective, they certainly want to drive up the price and, and try to put it out there that there's a bidding war going on and make it so that other teams are going to end up paying ultimately more. Uh, for for a player, they probably would have let go for a bit less. So I guess it's a little bit of both. I, I do think there's genuine interest. I think he could end up in Portland, but I think other teams are interested and, and Columbus is looking for the top bidder. And I don't think the Timbers are so desperate to make the signing that they're going to do something that's not absolutely beneficial from their perspective in terms of the amount of money they're spending. Every team in MLS should want to trade for Justin Miram. Uh, over the course of the last two seasons, he's been a guy that's been a 20, uh, that's been right around 20 combined goals and assists in each year, not in those two years combined in each year. He had 13 and seven last year uh, goals and assists. And he had basically the, the, the flip of those numbers or something thereabouts uh, the year before for Columbus. Those are in the best 11 conversation quality numbers. Uh, he's 29 years old. He's entering his age 29 season. Uh, so you would certainly think he has at least two or three years left uh, where he's going to be sort of in and around that, his sort of peak production. Uh, so it's not like he's a guy, you know, he's not, it's not, it's not a Benny Failhopper situation where you think he might already be on, on the downslope. Uh, you would think the, that Miram has another couple or three pretty darn good years in him. Uh, he is, for, just simply put, a starter on every team in MLS. Uh, he's somebody that, that I think, uh, a lot of teams would want very, very badly that there are some teams that need, uh, and, and that every team would, would want to some extent. Hey, look, I mean, if you're an MLS GM and you have a realistic chance to get your hands uh, on a player with as, as proven a track record in MLS as Justin Miram, 
you want to do it. Uh, and so, you know, I mean, that combined with the fact that, S- that Sam is an excellent reporter, um, you know, leaves little doubt in my mind that there is something going on there that the Timbers are interested because, ev- like I said, every team should be checking in on this. Uh, and it, I could certainly see the Timbers, especially if they don't see sort of a hyper competitive field lining up to to get Miram. I could certainly see the Timbers putting in an offer and saying, hey, if we can get him for this, great. Uh, if we can get him for the for this amount of money or for these assets that the, that we can do, do and maintain, uh, while also making the other signings that we need to make for our team, great. And if we have flexibility, that's a great way to use it. I mean, they you know I do think Miram is a luxury would be a luxury signing for the Timbers, uh, simply because they you know I mean you look at sort of the the team and they don't have sort of a big obvious hole. Uh, on on the depth chart, there is of course uncertainty about how good Andy Polo is going to be, but we have two million dollars worth of evidence as, as to how good the Timbers think he's going to be. Uh, and, and, and you know, I mean, I, I think uh, if you know, so overall, if you look at sort of the Timbers' interests here, it's very much a want more than it is a need, and that's why I ultimately I ultimately sort of sort of agree with you where I think it's unlikely the Timbers will come out sort of on the winning end of this because there sh- there should be teams in MLS that need that would tear their arms off to get Justin Miram. There there should be teams in MLS for who somebody like Miram is their top offseason priority. I think if you were to chart out sort of the Timbers signings based on where they are now, you know, signing Miram at this point would probably be somewhere in like their third or fourth priority over the course of the offseason. If I'm the Seattle Sounders, Justin Miram is my number one priority. Uh, he, you know, I mean, who knows what else they have going on? But look, I mean, they're a team that, that was rolling out Victor Rodriguez, uh, who was eh, kind of okay, uh, and uh, and Jovan Jones at left wing over the course of their playoff run. It is sort of the obvious spot on their uh, in their starting eleven uh, where where they could add if they could add one more sort of goal dangerous winger that'd be perfect and that would be. The, what the, what they need, and frankly, uh, if I if that was my need, and and I was looking around the league, and I wanted somebody uh, that was going to be a little bit more of a sure thing uh, than than going internationally to sign somebody, it would be Justin Miram. And so, you know, I mean, <laughs> I hate to put myself in the shoes of Garth Lagerway because you know I'm not super fond of the Sounders, but if I was Garth Lagerway, there is no amount that the Timbers that I would expect the Timbers to reasonably bid that I wouldn't top to get Miram. So, you know, I, 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 I have no doubt uh, that Sam is sort of right, you know, has good sources here and, and, and is right on the facts uh, that the Timbers have put, uh, you know, have put an offer in for him. But I, I would just think there are going to be other teams in MLS that, that want him more and are willing to pay more uh, than the Timbers to, to get his services. So, We'll see. Uh, Timbers Las Vegas wants to know if the Timbers make a deal for Miram, will they still have the money to pull off other reported signings? For me, this is a huge question, Jamie. What is your your sort of take on that? I mean, if you were looking at, you know, a good chunk, but a, a nonetheless finite chunk of resources for the Timbers going into the the, the last several weeks of the offseason, and you were looking at, you know, probably another signing as, uh, you know, maybe a nine, a signing as an eight, maybe a Miram deal, where would you sort of place Miram on, on that list of priorities? 
I think I think he should be third on that list of priorities. I, I think that's why they got Polo to, to fill that positional need. And like you said, Miriam is a luxury in this. I think they need to get another backup forward. They they've discussed that unless they're going to bank on the idea that Abobasi is going to take another step forward and be a true contributor, uh, game in and game out as their backup at the number nine. They could do that, but but I think this Timbers team is going to get bring in another backup forward and give themselves a little insurance there. And I also really think they need to get a young eight and start looking at the succession plan for Diego Char, particularly since Davi Guzman is going to go to the World Cup and, and they want some cover in that position this year. So I think those should be their positional priorities. And based on that, I think that they need to save resources for that. Like you said, I think they can get Miriam and, and still uh, make those other signings. But I don't think the Timbers are about to get in a bidding war for Miriam. I think they're going to offer what they feel like they can still afford and, and still uh, address their other positional needs. And if other teams outbid them, they they walk away. They, they move on because, because, like, because, like you said, this is a luxury signing. You know, and it's not like the Timbers are super, you know, short on the bench when it, when it comes to uh, their wingers either. Dyrona Spria had a good year last year. Uh, you know, by all means, there are a lot of teams in MLS – if you're talking about sort of a, you know, second attacking option on the bench or something like that, assuming the Timbers make uh, the, that backup forward signing that that you were just talking about, there were a lot of teams that, that would be pretty excited to have uh, a guy like Damron Espria in that position. So it's not like the Timbers are, are sort of wanting for depth there. Frankly, the other guy that I, I still think we need to keep an eye on in light of the fact that he's returning is Victor Arboleda. The, the Timbers got almost nothing out of Victor Arboleda last year, which Frankly, given the, the the talent that you see apparent, the Timbers should be able to get more out of him than, than they have. Uh, and so there's even even sort of, you know, down the roster depth uh, when it comes to, to, to those positions. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would put it third, too. Uh, I, I agree entirely uh, that I would be more inclined to, you know, I would probably put getting that good uh, young number eight in there as my top priority. Second, I would I would want to have the you know I, I I think bringing in another nine makes sense even if uh, I do think there there is a good argument uh, to to trust Jeremy Abobasi more than they did last year and to get him more minutes. Look, if you've got the extra resources, that's an obvious place uh, where where the Timbers could sort of upgrade their their, their bench immediately. Uh, from a win now perspective, and so that makes some sense to me. And then yeah, you know if you do have extra resources. Maybe it's a mirror, but then you've got to also look at what else is down that list. I mean, do you want to save some money in case you want to go upgrade your goalkeeper? Uh, do you want to save some money in case you, you decide you want to go up, upgrade it right back? Maybe Alvis Powell comes in and doesn't have as good a season. Do you want to break the bank to go sign Justin Miram, uh, you know, and to go get Justin Miram in a trade uh, and then not be left with the resources to do those kinds of things? I mean, those are all the things that the Timbers need to balance. I think I would still, you know, I mean, you you don't get the opportunity. And if you, you get it on a reasonable price to get a player like Justin Miriam, that doesn't come, come along every day. So, you know, I would probably still put that third. But there are absolutely boxes the Timbers need to tick that I think are more necessities uh, than bringing in somebody like Miriam. Uh, as we noted a, a, a few moments ago, we had a, an introductory press conference last week. Uh, that was for Coach Giovanni Savarese. Uh, his first appearance in Portland, Ed just wants to know, what were your opinions? What were your takeaways from uh, from that in- in- introductory presser? Jamie, you had a profile this this last weekend uh, of Gio on OregonLive.com. 
Uh, what are some of your thoughts uh, after his first week in Portland? Although now he's in Orlando for the combine. Uh, what do you think uh, about the signing and what was you, were your first impressions of Gio? I think it, it was really surprising that in that everyone I talked to in, in doing background research about him, I, I talked to Dave Martinez, a, a journalist. I talked to a, another fan and person who uh, – named Luis, who kind of serves as a, a podcast host and, and fan and journalist uh, out for the Cosmos as well. I, I talked to uh, his owner. I talked to his former assistant coaches, former players. Everyone loves this guy. And he clearly has had a lot of success uh, in New York. I, I think I can, I can completely understand why the Timbers said, this is our guy. He, he's going to be the, the guy that can lead us into a new era. He's going to be the guy that's going to be able to help grow this club. He has a vision that, that he's confident in. He, he has a way that he's, he's proven that he can manage his players. He, he's able to speak four languages, and that has helped him in the past in integrating his locker room. It, he clear, apparently runs pretty tough practices that players get, um, get excited to, to play for him there's just all positives about him. And so I think that's really exciting for the Timbers. I, I think in the introductory press conference as well, uh, he came off as an intelligent guy that, that had ideas for this club and, and felt like this group had a lot of talent, but, but was ready to see how he could put his mark on this team as well. And so I'm going into the season excited to see what he can do. Now, the Cosmos were, were a team that had some big-name players. They, they are obviously a storied franchise dating back to the uh, 1970s. Um, but he's never coached at the MLS level. He, he played in the MLS level. He, he's worked with the Red Bulls uh, in youth development. But it's still, it, it, it's still kind of a wait to be seen. So um, even though there's all these positives going in, we just have to see how he just to this level, to, to this new challenge. Um, but he's had the success and, and he's been very well liked, uh, in his previous job. You know, my, I, I guess as I was walking out of the, the, the press conference, I was sort of thinking about my takeaways and it basically just kept coming back to like one phrase as advertised because you're right. I, I mean, you know, you talked to many, many, many more people than I did. But everybody that I talked to and everybody that I saw talking, uh, you know, in stories, uh, on various websites, on Twitter, et cetera, all basically were saying the same things about him. He is he is enthusiastic. He's optimistic. Uh, he's very smart. Um, you know, I mean, all many of the, the those those same qualities that you, that you just listed, uh, you know, you were hearing and from these various people uh, that worked with him, covered him, uh, were fans of him, et cetera. Uh, and so, yeah, I just came away from the the introductory presser. I didn't think there was a ton of, you know, news in it. I didn't think there was a, there was a whole lot that was surprising. But you know, if I was giving a, a Yelp review of it, I'd be like five stars, exactly as good as everybody said. Uh, and and you know, of course, we'll we'll get a more profound sense of that over the course of uh, hopefully the following years. Uh, hopefully, the following many years, we'll we'll get a more profound sense of that. Uh, but yeah. I came away just as advertised. Uh, and, and that is, I, you know, in many instances, that would be sort of like maybe underwhelming praise. Uh, in this instance, that is really high praise because he was advertised incredibly highly, uh, pretty much unanimously. 
And so, yeah, as advertised, he's still got a lot of work to do, as you noted. Uh, and, you know, I'm not going out there saying this guy's going to be uh, going to be, you know, the best coach in club history or or anything like that. He's He's got to prove a lot in, in order to get there. But, you know, as far as the characteristics of the guy, I, I think the Timbers are, are getting exactly what they thought they were getting. Okay, we got a few more questions. R3V wants to know which acquisition or rumored acquisition is the most exciting, in your opinion, for the Timbers. Just a footnote, we're going to renew this question in a few moments once we talk about the Thorns, but let's talk about the Timbers uh, the, the Timbers side for just a second. Uh, which acquisition or rumored ac- acquisition is the most exciting for you? Jamie? I think it's a little bit of a tough question right now, just because even as you said, uh, I think Andy Polo is the one that I am most interested in seeing what he can do, given the role he's going to come in and that the Timbers are going to expect him to play, given that he is at least on the field, he's going to replace the spot that was occupied by Darlington Nagby. But I, I, I don't know any way to evaluate him uh, fairly at this point. And so that kind of, tempers my excitement will be just because I don't know a ton about him. Um, obviously Justin Merrim is someone we know a lot about. And if the Timbers could make a luxury signing like that, I I'd be pretty, pretty impressed with their attack. I, I mean, a attack that was already pretty impressive last season has already made upgrades. If they bring Merrim as, as well, which as we said, I, I don't necessarily expect to happen. I, I just would have, I, I would, think they would easily contend to score the most goals uh, in the Western Conference this year, be one of the best attacking teams in MLS. Um, So it's, I think it's a tough one right now with the Timbers having not necessarily seen too much of Polo and having Constante coming in another international player. But it would, I think in terms of just which one I'm most excited to get a chance to see, I definitely want to see what, what Polo can do. I think this, for me, this is Miram. Uh, and the reason I say that is, look, if Andy Polo came in and produced like Justin Miram did with the crew, the Timbers would be over the moon. I like absolutely giddy. Uh, and, and I think that is well beyond their expectations uh, for somebody, for, for Andy Polo, even as much as they clearly like him. Uh, that is well beyond their expectations for Polo, especially in this first year. Uh, that would not be beyond their expectations uh, for Justin Miram. If they sign Justin Miram, they're going to sign Justin Miram to be Justin Miram. Uh, and that is, uh, in other words, a very, very good MLS player. One of the best wingers in MLS. Uh, and so, you know, I mean, it is very much a rumored acquisition. It is very much an acquisition uh, that I think is, you know, probably unlikely given the the Timbers' needs and the Timbers' incentives vis-a-vis other teams' incentives. Uh, and I, you know, I, I think all of that makes sense. I, if I were the Timbers, I would not absolutely break the bank to get Miram. But if I did, oh man, alive! If I was able to get Miram without breaking the bank, whew, yippee kaye! That is gonna that 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 would be uh, that would be one that, that I would be going uh, and, and having a couple of good whiskeys after, uh, feeling pretty good about that signing. Mike wants to know, what do you make of the coaching staff movements? Any surprises? Just to sort of run them down quickly in case uh, you didn't catch this. It was released literally on the morning uh, of Gio's uh, introductory presser, so it was maybe a little bit 
uh, sort of buried uh, in in the news that day. Uh, the Timbers have hired uh, Carlos Yamosa and Memo Valencia. Uh, Yamosa, as an assistant coach to uh, Savarese, uh, he was most recently with the New England Revolution. Previously, though, he coached with Gio uh, in New York. Uh, Memo Valencia will be the goalkeeper coach for the first team. Uh, he was the the goalkeeper coach uh, with the Cosmos uh, before uh, before Savarese brought him to Portland. Sean McCauley also remains uh, as an assistant coach for the first team. Uh, Cameron Knowles will be uh, will be the head coach for T two this year. Uh, he moves there after being an assistant coach with the first team. Andrew Gregor, the the sort of maligned uh, coach for T two last year in their very very poor season. Uh, over the course of the last year, he is going to be staying on as a, as an assistant coach. Worth remembering that before that, uh, Gregor had a, a successful run uh, with the academy. You talk about the development of people, uh, of players like Marco Farfan, Blake Bodley. Those were the Andrew Gregor years in the academy. He was uh, their head coach uh, for at least a couple years in the academy, and that is why they brought him up to T2. Also had a better first year with T2 than, than, than second year, so he stays on as an assistant Aiden Brown will also work with both T2 and the first team goalkeepers. Uh, he was the the sort of clear first team goalkeeper coach uh, last year and 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 in years past. Uh, he will now uh, not be the, the the sort of primary goalkeeper coach. That'll be Valencia, but he nonetheless stays with the club in a goalkeeper coaching capacity. There were also some some other ones uh, to to fill out the the many other uh, coaching jobs, but those are sort of the primary assistant coach positions through the club. Jamie, what do you think? What do you make of the movements? Anything that particularly surprised you? Well, they're splitting uh, Sean and Cam up. That's uh, <laughs> that's uh, something that only people that watch the practices every day are just going to be very disappointed yes. not to see those two guys out yes. uh, on the field together on a regular basis. Um, probably makes sense for the team as a whole to make some moves like that, but uh, th- those guys can be are, are, are a riot. Um, Those guys are definitely a riot. I still remember, yeah. I can't remember what he was singing, but I still remember <laughs> the locker room after, uh, I, I, so like there's the famous video of, of Liam Ridgewell singing Bieber. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, uh, I shot singing, it. That's my video. Yeah. That, that, that was your video of singing Justin <laughs> Bieber. But like, by far the dominant voice in the locker room post MLS cup was Sean McCauley, <laughs> just like belting out, Various, I would describe teeny bopper tunes, uh, like just absolutely belting them from the showers. Uh, he he is a he is a rambunctious guy. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's just uh, personality wise. It's sad to split those guys up. But um, it, more on a more serious note, I think it makes a lot of sense to to see Geo bringing in a, an assistant coach um that that's going to be by his side that he's worked with in the past i, I think that's important I, caleb did that as well while, while keeping the majority of the rest of the staff i i am not surprised to see the goalkeeping coach change although it's interesting that aiden brown is also going to be working with both t2 and the first team even though the first team will have its own goalkeeper coach uh but after the the issues i, I would say the inconsistency with the goalkeepers last year i, I do think it makes sense to make a change there I'm a bit surprised that in, in one capacity or another, all these guys are staying on. Andrew Gregor staying on as an assistant. Aiden Brown's moving down to mostly T2. Uh, Cameron Knowles is moving down to T2, but they're, they're, they are all staying on. I, I think I, I can see that both ways. I, I 
would have been interesting, especially at the T2 level, to see them maybe go out and bring in some new blood and see if they can get more, more out of that program. At the same time, I, this club has uh, consistently gone with wanted to reward people within the club who have done well for them, uh, who they trust. And so maybe they, they think that moving Cameron Knowles down to T2 and, and keeping Andrew Greger, who did well with the academy there, as kind of another voice it is going to be more effective than what they had before, but that's a wait and see. Um, so if anything, I, I think it makes a lot of sense that Gio's bringing in a few of his people that there's Sean McCauley still there. Is it a voice that's been here and a bit surprising to see everyone else remaining on, but it, it's at the T2 level and it is, they are changing the staff at the T2 level to see if they can get something else out of that program. Yeah. So, you know, with respect to the first team staff, I, I think the obvious takeaway is that this has Geo's fingerprints all over it as it should, um, because it's his staff <laughs> and those are the folks that he has to work with every day. Uh, and, and so I don't think there, there is any, any huge surprise there. You know, I, I was, I guess I was a little bit surprised too, to see so many folks stay on, uh, you know, to see Knowles, uh, and Gregor and, and Brown stay on primarily with T2, uh, as you mentioned, but I mean, it makes some sense. I definitely don't buy into the narrative on Twitter that there was, you know, sort of just rampant incompetence, uh, on, on, on Caleb Porter's staff outside of, uh, outside of Pablo Marrera. Uh, I don't think that's supported by evidence. I, I don't think that, that that's uh, supported by much of anything. Frankly, if there, if there was rampant incompetence uh, on Caleb Porter's coaching staff, I would not have expected the Timbers to be as successful as they were uh, over the five years uh, of Porter's tenure. Uh, that would be a bad thing. And so, you know, I, if I, I'm not really in a position to be able to, to be able to assess these guys on an individual basis, perhaps with the exception of Brown because of the sort of specialization uh, of what he does. Uh, but look, I mean, uh, the Timbers on the inside obviously are. And if they think these are people that have value, uh, somebody like even Andrew Greger, if they think Greger is a guy that has value in the club and that they want to keep in the club, even if they've decided for very obvious reasons that that, that should not be a, as head coach of T2, then good for them for being able to hold on to these guys. Uh, and you know, I mean, I, I think there's a relatively easy argument to make, uh, that each of that, you know, at least some of those guys do, you know, seem to have some value. Uh, and, and so, you know, we'll see how Knowles does, uh, in his tenure as T2 head coach. Uh, but you know, if the Timbers looked at him and assessed him in his performance with the first team and said, all right, we're ready to see how you can do, uh, at the helm of a team that doesn't strike me based on anything I've seen as being manifestly unreasonable. So we'll see how all that turns out. Uh, but you know, I mean, there can be no speculation now, uh, that a coaching staff is being forced on geo. There can be no speculation, uh, about any of that because it is very clear that geo has a ton of control. I mean, I, I think it's even fair to say basically exclusive control, uh, over his first team coaching staff, Nathan, wants to know what are the chances the Timbers select somebody in Thursday's super draft that makes the first team roster. What are the chances that we see the Timbers make a draft day trade? Jamie, what's your take on what we should be expecting for Thursday? It's Friday, right? Thursday, Friday. Thursday, Thursday, Whatever day, whatever day the 19th is. 
I, I don't That's know. Friday. That's Friday. It's the 19th. <laughs> NWSL is on Thursday. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's the 19th. It's on Friday. It, like, it, yeah, I'm all messed up because I know it's the 16th today. It was also my first day of work this week, yet it's Tuesday. You would think after like, <laughs> you know, 32 years of life, I would be onto this whole three-day weekend thing. But hey, some of us are slower on the uptake on, on things than others. Yeah. So that, that aside, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think... The, the chances that Timber selects someone in the draft on Friday at all, um, not just that makes the first team roster, some, that they make a selection in the draft uh, on Friday, it's probably 15 to 20% chance. I, I mean, they might make a trade, maybe even less than, than that percentage. They may make a trade. They're not in, in the first two rounds. The, the th- third and fourth round will take place on a conference call on January 21st. They will make likely make those selections, and maybe you'll get a player like a George Vashive that somehow works their way into the first team at that point. But I I think it's very unlikely that we see the Timbers make a trade to get into one of the top picks this year. I, it was shocking to see them based on their draft history do it before, and we don't really know what Geo how Geo is approaching this. That so we have a, another person a, that obviously has a strong voice in this decision. It. So going off the Timbers track record might not be the best way to look at it, but they don't have a pick. I don't necessarily see a positional need that they'd want to get out of the draft right now. Uh, so unless some, but somebody really stands out to them at the combine that they think they can get without giving out too much, I doubt that we're going to see the Timbers make a pick on Friday. Uh, it's going to be a pretty boring stream for Timbers fans, most likely, if they're planning on watching. Yeah, I agree entirely, except I might peg the chances even lower than you did. I might say this is like a 5 to 10% chance, and 10 is probably high, uh, that, the, that the Timbers may make a deal. Frankly, they, just in sort of the overall reports, uh, I have not seen a lot of enthusiasm about this uh, this group that's coming through the draft this year. Uh, and so, you know, I mean, given that it, that it's kind of a, a tepid draft class uh, by by indications now, uh, I don't, I, you know, I'm a little bit doubtful that there's going to be anybody uh, th- that the Timbers feel like they need to go get. One thing to to keep in mind, the Timbers do have a sort of like homegrown eligible player right now in the draft. That's not Foster Langsdorf, who I think we all expect the Timbers to sign to a, a, a homegrown player contract before the draft. Uh, but rather, it's Nico Devera, who played as a fullback for uh, for Akron, had a good four-year career for Akron, uh, was sort of a full-time starter uh, in, in his later years there, did relatively well. He is at the Combine. He's largely seen as kind of a second to third round pick kind of thing. Look to see if maybe he catches somebody, somebody's eye. The Timbers could lose, lose out on him uh, if he goes sometime in the second round. Based on what I've been seeing and reading and, and and that kind of stuff that's been public, I kind of doubt that he will be selected in the second round. And so if he does, ex- uh, you know, survive past the second round, it wouldn't surprise me at all if the Timbers make a move to try to get him uh, under their, their their umbrella, whether that's with T2 or, or, or whatnot. Uh, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's, that's my degree of excitement uh, for the draft, whichever day it is. Uh, that's my degree of excitement. It's to see if Nico Devera comes off the board <laughs> or, or if he's going to be somebody that the Timbers can try to get uh, into the club in some capacity. But yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it, I don't think it's going to be an exciting day from the draft end. Tommy, 
wants to know who are the, gonna, the starting center backs going to be this year. Do you think they should add another uh, or is Cascante enough to sort of fill out the depth chart? So right now the depth chart is essentially, you know, in the starting spots, you, you got to think you've got Liam Ridgewell uh, and, and Laris Mabiala. Uh, Julio Cascante is going to be that third center back would probably back up either of those guys or both of those guys, however you want to say it. Lawrence Olin is there. Uh, we expect Bill Tuiloma to be in, in that depth chart. Do you think that's enough, Jamie? Or, or do you think the Timbers should add uh, sort of another kind of depthish player uh, to the center back depth chart before uh, the season starts? No, I, I, I'm happy uh, with that. I, I think the concern is Ridgewell, Ridgewell could have injuries again, and there could be other injuries on the back line given the Timbers' track record. But I, I do think Asante's a guy they don't want to block too much. The, he's a guy that they're bringing in to get significant playing time and to most likely give him the chance to beat Ridgewell out if possible. So I... I, I think that those three are going to Mabiala, Ridgewell, Cassante are going to compete for playing time. And Lawrence Olam is going to be the backup there. And he has shown that he's absolutely capable of being a backup in that position and doing well for the Timbers. I, I think beyond that, they, like you said, they have Tulioma. And I, I think when you look at the depth and, and how much playing time they're hoping to get out of their top three guys, I, I, th- I think there's other positional needs that are, bigger priorities. Yeah. And I, you know, the, the other thing I, the only other thing I want to note there is, uh, Bill Tuilona is very much a guy to keep an eye on for me and camp. Uh, we, even though he is not yet sort of formally signed, uh, I definitely expect him to be in camp. Uh, and, and, and although he's been playing primarily defensive midfield, uh, over the course of, uh, of his career to date, it sounds like his long-term projected position is at center back. And, and I, and, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if that's primarily where the timbers are looking, uh, for him to be. So it wouldn't say, I, I would expect him at this point to sort of step into the, you know, what, what would you call it? The Amobio Kugo role or, or, or something like that. Uh, and I'm interested to see how he progresses uh, over the course of camp and potentially over the course of the year uh, and, and sort of makes his way uh, up the depth chart. Because frankly, given his age and given what the Timbers want from him, uh, you know, and w- would like to see from him, if he does well, it wouldn't even surprise me to see him bump up above Lawrence Olam. And become the Timbers' fourth uh, fourth center back if he can sort of earn that spot, which I think he does have to do. Uh, but yeah, that that is one sort of a little subplot that I don't think we've talked about yet uh, that I think is one to keep an eye on over, over the course of camp. Jeremy wants to know, how does Landon Donovan drag his signing with Leon out until April 1st? So this is something that, frankly, like in all of the whispers I thought was a joke, I was absolutely certain was a joke. And then, like, Landon Donovan actually signed with Leon down in Mexico. Apparently, I'm, like, yeah, I'm still waiting for, like, Ashton Kutcher to come out of a closet somewhere. Uh, but, yeah, Jeremy wants to know, how does he drag it all the way out till April 1st? Jamie, what do you think? Uh, is, is, is this real? What's your take on this? Is this just, like, the longest April Fool's joke, as Jeremy suggests? What do you, what's, your, what's your take on it? Um, I, I mean, I, I don't think it's an April, <laughs> an April fool's joke at this point. I, I yeah, it, it was definitely a surprise. I, I didn't think when those first reports were coming out that this was actually serious. Um, but, I, but I guess it is, uh, I mean, we've seen Landon Donovan come out of retirement before and I, I, I guess I, I think he's just a guy that doesn't really like, uh, what, what retirement feels like. So, um, kind of creating some more buzz and getting back in there. I don't know how it's going to pan out, but 
it does does not appear to be a joke at this point. Yeah. Um, so there, there are a few things to this that, that are worth noting. One, there certainly seems to be sort of a political aspect to it, uh, to Donovan in sort of his statements, both live down, uh, down, down with Leon and, and on Twitter. Uh, he's, he has said very clearly that he doesn't believe in walls. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why, uh, why he is doing this. Um, so there is that in that statement that he seems to be making. Um, but look, you know, I mean, for me and, and just from a, a sort of soccering perspective, because I'm boring with, with respect to other things. Uh, look, the last time Landon came out of retirement, it didn't go well. Actually, frankly, it was kind of sad to see him uh, go out for Bruce Arena's LA Galaxy a couple of years ago uh, in, in the summer and look like an absolute shell of his former self. Uh, and he ended up, he had opportunities and he had options uh, the, the following offseason to sign with other teams. There was talk that he might sign with RSL for a while. And he didn't basically saying he didn't feel like he could do it. And so if he can't do it as a reserve on LA Galaxy in, what was it, 2015, 2016, uh, I don't know that it's going to be any better with, you know, in Liga MX, still a better league than MLS, a deeper league than MLS. Uh, I, I, and I think there's every reason to think it could be even worse. Uh, and so, you know, from that perspective and from like the me clinging on to the Landon Donovan, greatest American soccer player ever kind of thing, I, you know, I don't love it. Otherwise, you know, I mean, they're, they're, who knows? <laughs> who knows what's going to end up coming out of this? Uh, I, yeah, yeah. I just, I, I just don't want to see Landon on the field look like not Landon again. Um, okay. Let's talk about thorns. There's a lot to talk about uh, with the thorns. Let's start right here. Allie Long to the Seattle Reign. Uh, the thorns, however, did receive the rights to Caitlin Ford. That's Australian international winger Caitlin Ford from Sky Blue in, as part of a three-team trade. Uh, what do you think? Let's tackle this both from sort of the emotional perspective and the unemotional perspective. Good trade, Jamie? Yeah, I think from the emotional perspective, it's a tough trade to see. Given Ali Long's history with this club, she was an original thorn. I, I, she made a hundred, I think exactly a hundred appearances with this club. I, I think something like one of three players that have done that in the NWSL with a single club, and, and she scored. She scored some memorable goals in Portland. She um, contributed in many ways throughout the years. It, it's a tough one emotionally to see. Um, you know, her, her rise to the national team came in part with her play in Portland. It is also a trade that I think we could see coming. Uh, we've discussed it. What, what was Ali Long's future with this team? She's not a player at this point in her career that wants to be on the bench uh, I, I, who, or should or who should want to be on the bench. She can start in, in pretty much any team in this league. And she is gearing up to try to compete in the 2019 World Cup. And to do that, she needs to get playing time and continue to push herself and continue to prove to Jill Ellis that she uh, belongs in that that mix. So I think it made a lot of sense from her perspective to, to go to a different team. It made a lot of sense that the Thorns weren't going to find a spot for her for them to make a move to, to trade her. I, I don't think... I, I kind of doubt that Seattle was was her number one choice to go to, but but it was a team where there was an op opportunity and the one that the Thorns um, clearly made a deal to make. So from the emotional side, it's tough. 
it's going to be very tough, I think, for Thornstands to see her in, in Seattle uh, of all places. But I, I do think it makes a lot of sense. She was a player that was coming off the bench for the Thorns last year and a player that I'm not really sure where Mark Parsons saw fitting in his lineup moving forward. And I think they're getting a player that's towards the end of uh, her career, maybe even the end of her prime and, and getting up there. And they're replacing with a much younger player in Caitlin Ford, who has a lot of experience and a lot of success with the Australian national team is a player that can be versatile as a winger, maybe play as a wing back, uh, depending on what the Thorns want in, in Mark Parsons' um, formation, and a player that is going to hopefully contribute immediately for the Thorns in the attack. So I think Caitlin Ford's a very exciting player for the Thorns to get. She's a proven player at a high level, and she's on the younger side, so she still has room to go- grow, and they are trading away a player that was getting up towards the end of her prime. And while she is a national team player, while she is someone that's just breaking in, in, uh, in, in that sense, a, a player who wasn't starting for the Thorns last year. And I think they're replacing her with someone who they expect to see a, a good amount of playing time. I have three thoughts on this. One, Allie Long, as a result of her service with the Thorns, is deserving of every single shred of respect and admiration that she gets from Thorns fans. Uh, She was outstanding over the course of her five years with the Thorns. There were times when she put the team on her shoulders, uh, when she, in many instances, basically single-handedly carried the team when they were shorthanded as a result of World Cups and Olympics and the like. Uh, And and over the course of those 100 appearances with with the Thorns, she was, by and large, excellent. Uh, and, and so she is deserving of absolutely every bit of respect uh, that, that she gets uh, from from Thorns fans. And it'll be really weird to see her with Seattle. Probably not super comfortable. Uh, and, and, and so, like, that is that is the unambiguously sort of, you know, down or uncomfortable part of the trade. The second is, look, it, positionally, Allie kind of fits a need for the Thorns. Uh, and so my my second takeaway from this trade was, look, I mean, the this is pretty clear that the Thorns wanted to part ways with Allie uh, or that they the, the or, 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 or that Allie and the Thorns mutually wanted to part ways because, you know, if there is a positional question on the Thorns right now, it is at defensive midfield. And that's really what Allie Long is at, at this point in her career. And so the Thorns, if they were enthusiastic about keeping Allie around very easily could have just sort of sat on it uh, and, and, and gone into the season with, with, uh, with long and Haran uh, as their, their sort of six, eight combination and, and built the attack on top of that. I think that would have been a perfectly uh, defensible way to approach this, especially in light uh, of Dagny Brynja's daughter missing uh, the 2018 season for the best reason of reason imaginable. Um, and so, you know, I mean, it is clear that somewhere between Alley and the Thorns, there was a desire to part ways. Uh, and, you know, that's that's another thing to sort of throw in the emotional hopper uh, and, and, and to see how you feel about this. My third point, though, is that from a completely unemotional perspective, the Thorns got an absolutely outstanding return for, for Alley. I mean, look, Long is, I think everybody would agree, going into 2019, sort of a fringe U.S. women's national teamer, right? Uh, she may be uh, in, in on the World Cup team uh, next year. 
I, she may not be. Uh, I, I don't know how I would necessarily handicap that, but I probably wouldn't give her, I certainly wouldn't give her probably a better than a 50% chance uh, of making that team. And, and I would probably peg it, you know, if I sat down and, th- and thought about it, I would probably peg it somewhere below uh, 50%. In light of, you know, aging, she'll be 31 at the time, all, all of those things. Kaylin Ford, at the age of 23, has 60 caps for Australia. She scored 11 goals for the Matildas. She uh, is unquestionably one of sort of the bright attacking talents, not just for for just Australia, who, by the way, are one of the hottest national teams in the world right now, uh, but one of the the good attacking talents, I I think you would have to say, uh, worldwide. I'm not going to say that she's a top five uh, attacking talent or top 10, but look, I mean, if you want to chart out good young attacking players in the world, Caitlin Ford is one of those players that you would include in the, in that discussion. Uh, so that is absolutely outstanding, outstanding return uh, for, for Allie Long to the point where I would say if, if you're doing this from a, a, you know, you have no heart and only brain perspective, the Thorns won this trade in a walk away. And so, awesome. Uh, that, that's the great part of it uh, from, from the Thorns' perspective. Ray's question, though, asked a question that, that's sort of related to this trade from sort of an interesting point of view that I hadn't given a ton of thought to, but I think is absolutely worth discussing. So this is an excellent question. But do you think there's any concern that three of the taller Thorns in 2017, three of the taller Thorns, by the way, is not a super easy thing to say. So you should give me credit for that. Three of the taller thorns in 2017, Ali Long, Nadia Nadim, and Dagny Brynja's daughter, won't be with the team in 2018. That was certainly a hallmark uh, of the thorns in 2017, just the, the, their size and, and, and their physical imposition on the field. Do you think that's going to be an issue now uh, in 2018, now they've gotten a little bit smaller? I don't see it as a huge issue. I, I think there are players in terms of just physical um, ability that, that are plenty physical are going to be players that are definitely going to make their mark on, on the field through through physicality. They're still left on the roster. I, I don't think they were a team that relied exclusively on something like set pieces to headers uh, to score goals or or anything like that. So I, I think they still have plenty of firepower outside of um, having those three. And, and I still think players like Christine Sinclair, Lindsay Horan are, are going to impose themselves physically on, on the game, even if they're not quite as tall. Certainly Emily Mengus also goes in there. Yeah. yeah you know, it's not like the thorns now are, are a small team uh, or, or that they're going to get bullied for size. But, you know, I, I do think it's absolutely fair to point out that mm-hmm. that's something that was unquestionably a strength for them. I mean, gosh, they won an awful lot of balls in the air. Uh, it may not be quite as much of a strength uh, because of sort of the combined circumstances uh, uh, of losing a few players that, that were certainly a part of, but not all of that. Uh, the very next day, we, we didn't have long to stew over that one uh, before the, the other shoe. Is it really an other shoe? I don't know. The, the other shoe metaphor sort of suggests a, a direct relationship. I will call it another shoe before the other shoe dropped. Uh, and that was the Thorns trading Savannah Jordan to Houston for Andre Senia. Uh, Andre Senia the, is a, uh, is a Brazilian international who were, who was playing for the, for the dash. Uh, she is very much sort of a central midfield, a, a, a midfield player. Uh, she is not sort of a, a true defensive midfielder as much as she is 
kind of a transitional attacking midfielder, I, I, I would describe her as. For those who are more familiar with the Timbers than they are the Thorns, I would put her in sort of the same kind of midfield category as a Darlington Nagby, uh, perhaps. Uh, but very technical, absolutely ele- electric on the ball, uh, can chip in some goals, can chip in some assists. Uh, and yeah, that's who they got for Savannah Jordan, uh, who uh, who uh, would have been a, a it seems, sounds like a consensus top five draft pick in 2017. The Thorns got her at the end of the second round because of her expressed desire to, to play in Scotland. She ended up showing up to the Thorns sooner than, than they thought at the end of the season last year, but she, she didn't break through in that time. She had some injury issues and the like, but she didn't break through in that time. She goes to Houston. Uh, EK wants to know, how do you feel Andresina fits into the Thorns this season? What is your thought? Uh, and actually, yeah, I, you know what? I'm going to combine this with the next one, too. Uh, be, we're with the first half of the next one as well, because I think they are two sides of the same coin. Thomas wants to know, does Haran Andresina provide enough cover to the back line? Go. Yeah, uh, I think addressing the first part, yeah, she, she's going to kind of slot in uh, next to Haran in a position that Ali Long, like you said, would have likely played if she had wanted to stay in Portland and if the Thorns had wanted her to stay in Portland if that trade hadn't happened. So this is a move that the Thorns are making to essentially replace uh, Ali Long after trading her. And we'll see if, assuming they make no other moves, this is essentially both replacing Long and Amandine Henri in one trade. I think it is going to be a drop off from last year, given given the players that are not coming back, and it, it will be interesting to see in, in terms of the cover for the back line. I, I think Amandine Henri did provide a good cover for the back line, and you, you don't replace one of the top players in the world um, that easily. But at the same time, I think Anjina is a exciting player, someone who can contribute in the attack and. We've seen in the past the Thorns use with even Haran and Long next to each other, uh, midfielders that are a little bit more transitional that kind of switch off going forward and, and holding back, not necessarily a true six next to an, a, a true eight or anything like that. So I, I think it fits into Mark Parsons' system. I am a little bit concerned about cover for the back line. That is something the Thorns have uh, worked with, something Mark has tweaked in terms of his formation to see at times dropping Allie Long when she was starting further back in order to give more cover to the back line. It'll be interesting to see how he does that with the personnel this year or whether he feels like it will be enough cover um, with the changes. But I, I, I do think she's a player that's going to be able to slot right in to that position and be someone who could contribute in the attack as well as be someone who's going to be consistent uh, in the midfield boy and and sort of the because I, I do think the backline cover issues are big questions going going into the season and, and whether that combination is going to be able to do it but my goodness let's think about the sort of the other side of that right now this looks like it could be a just fantastically exciting attacking team for for the thorns this year i mean you, you throw in somebody like caitlin ford uh to get into the attack hopefully tobin heath will be more uh healthy than she was last year you've got one of the one of just the more fun players in the league now in in Andresinha, uh, you've got Lindsay Horan, who is an excellent attacking player. Oh, right, you have Christine Sinclair, who's like done a couple things in the attack over the course of her career. I mean, this could be a. You've got Haley Rosso, maybe the most uh, one of the most electric players in NWSL last year, uh, coming back to the Thorns uh, once again. This could be just high octane 
tremendously exciting stuff. And, and that is, you can probably tell, I'm kind of giddy about uh, about that prospect. So there are questions about about the cover for the back line. I think those are very legitimate. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how Mark puts together the team to try to make sure that cover is there. We're going to talk a little bit more about that tactically in just a second. But my goodness, this could be just absolutely brilliant stuff going forward if they can get these pieces to fit together. Uh, and I cannot wait to see if that's going to happen. Uh, the second half of Thomas's question that I'm not going to combine with that last part, though, is will we see the same three-back system uh, as a result of this that the Thorns used in 2017? Jamie, what is your thought about that? Do you do you expect them to sort of come out in 2018 with that as their primary set? I, I think that's based on the personnel what's going to make the most sense uh, just in terms of them having pretty much the same defense that's returning having the option if they want to probably slot Caitlin Ford into one of those more wingback positions uh as a as another option I and not necessarily wanting to take Emily Son and Emily Menges or Catherine Reynolds off the field I I think that that is the formation that they will least start with but but that's we saw how much Mark tweaked his formation last year and I, I think he's going to have to very quickly figure out if, if um if that the, there's enough cover on the back line or if he needs to make some sort of formation change to, to ensure that his defense is not getting exposed. I, I agree. And, and the reason why the, maybe the biggest reason going back to the second half of, of that last question that I think the three back system makes sense is when you go with the three center back system, especially with your center center back, you can be a little bit aggressive. And we definitely saw this at times with Emily Sonnet last year. And in, in her willingness, not only in possession, to sort of step up into midfield and basically to be that six-like presence in possession, but also to do that and to give that center center back a little bit more liberty to step into midfield in defense as well. And in that way, you, you almost get that six-like effect from your center back. You can do that when you have three center backs. It's much harder to do that when you only have two. That's that's one of the, the benefits of the three center back system. So I could see the Thorns running out that because I agree it fits the rest of the personnel the best of any uh, uh, of any sort of system or formation that I can chart out. But it also allows Emily Sonnet to, uh, to almost even crank that up from where it was last year and to really sort of get into being really aggressive and stepping up, disrupting plays, being a ball winner uh, in defense, and also stepping up to, to be sort of the, the, that sort of fulcrum point in, in possession. So we'll see how that, that shapes out in 2018. That is definitely something to watch and how Sonnet does in sort of year two of that, when I thought she did very well in year one of it uh, going forward. That's going to be, that's going to be a, another exciting little bit uh, to see how Mark does that over the course of the season. Uh, and, and yeah, go ahead. And just, of course, um, we are making some assumptions on players coming back. It's same with the Timbers as we've been talking about, but they're the, but both clubs still have to announce some of the players that they've offered contracts to and haven't formally said are coming back. And so if there's a surprise there, um, any players that we're not anticipating that end up not coming back, that could obviously change things as well. But um, right now, uh, we're going under the assumption that the majority of the players that have been offered new contracts will be on the roster. Yes, that is that is an important and excellent disclaimer. Uh, let's go back to R3V. Uh, wants to know, for the Thorns, which acquisition or rumored acquisition is the most exciting for you? Yeah, Caitlin Ford for me is uh, thus far the most exciting acquisition 
that the part the thorns have acquired I, I think she's an exciting young player that is only going to get better over time and um like we said there's a lot that went into the Sally Long trade a lot on the emotional side a lot of questions of why uh Long and the Thorns didn't necessarily want um her to remain in Portland this year uh why there why a move needed to happen but I, I think with the value that Thorns are getting it is very exciting and what Ford can potentially do in Portland and contribute to that tack and make it even more exciting than it was last year is something that is gives me a lot of hope for the season and just a lot of interest in seeing how uh, this team is going to be able to roll out. Perhaps only to be contrarian, I'm going to say Andresinha. And the reason is, look, I feel like, you know, for, you know, on my Portland soccer teams, I lost one of my primary, like, <gasps> people when Darlington Nagby was traded to Atlanta. And I feel like I got another one. And Andresina, she is very much the kind of player that can do something, that can shed a defender, uh, that can do something with the ball at her feet that just takes your breath away. And I cannot wait to watch that and to have my breath taken away because that's one of my favorite parts about watching soccer. Uh, Ellie wants to know, how can the Thorns possibly pay for all the quality players on the roster given the insane NWSL cap rules? Will anybody else have to leave or be traded away as a result? What's your take on this, Jamie? This is... From my from my view, hard to answer because uh, you know if if you think MLS's salary cap rules are are opaque uh, and, and and Byzantine, you've you've not even touched NWSL uh, with regard to its opacity. So I'm not even sure I know how to answer. Jamie, you're smarter than I am. What do you think? Well, I I think initially you always have to remember that there are U.S. women's national team players and the Thorns have a handful of them and the Canadian national team's players and the Thorns obviously have Christine Sinclair that do not count against the roster cap because they're paid, their salaries are paid by the national team. So you put those players aside uh, of the salary cap to begin with. I then, from my understanding, believe that there are mechanisms that we don't quite understand behind the scenes and and stuff that I would like to know a lot more about, because I do think there are ways that teams are navigating the salary cap that aren't as cut and dry as what's laid out. When you start to look at this is a salary cap that mathematically means these players have to make X, Y, and Z. I I think we saw that a little bit when Marta came to Orlando. I I think there's more going on in, in terms of ways teams mechanisms or where ways teams are able to financially supplement or, or something. I think there's more to it than we fully quite understand. So I don't expect the thorns to have to trade anyone away to, to make this work um, based on, based on the moves they've made, but it, it, it's not, it, I think this is something we've talked about with both NWSL and MLS. It, it's not transparent. Yeah, it is. It, it, whereas MLS has become more transparent in recent years, NWSL, which as a much long, younger league, this makes sense uh, to some extent, it is definitely steps behind uh, when it comes to that kind of transparency. Uh, I'm sure there are reasons uh, or, or that people have the reasons for, for doing that and thinking that uh, and, and, and pursuing uh, that course. But yeah, I think that's a great answer. I mean, you, you're clearly right that there are definitely things that we don't get. And so it's sort of hard to speculate as to what those things may be and then to further speculate how they would uh, impact the, the thorns. But what I will say is, and I think we have now a, a couple years of evidence on this, Mark Parsons and Gavin Wilkinson are pretty good 
at roster construction. Right now, when you look at the Thorns roster, the pieces more or less fit. It would be surprising to me, given the moves that they've made, if they sort of had to take, they sort of had to break the thing that looks like it fits together pretty well in order to accommodate what they've already done. And so, you know, in the absence of being able to know and understand the rules myself and and, and know and understand the cap situation myself, uh, you know, I, I think they have, over the course of the last couple of years, earned that level of trust uh, that they are putting together a, a, a sort of cohesive unit uh, as it appears right now. So may, maybe I'm, I, I'm being maybe pamby and saying this, but I, I trust that they've got this sorted out. And I think if I were a betting man, the, that what we see right now as sort of the, the core team is going to be the core team when the season opens up in the last week of March. Do you like how I just buried that news right there? Uh, so NWSL will be starting, uh, that last, uh, I think it's the at the beginning of the last full week of March, yeah, it's, it's March 24th and 25th, and 25th, uh, is when the NWSL season will open. The Thorns of course will, will start with at least a couple games on the road as it looks like Providence Park will not be ready to debut until mid April. Uh, not the, the five game road swing that the Timbers are opening up with, but nonetheless, a little bit of a road swing to, to open up the season for the Thorns. Uh, and then we'll have soccer back in Portland. Okay. I think we're done. Uh, we had a lot of ground to cover today. Uh, there, there, there has been, I, I think we can go back and, and, and disprove, uh, Jamie Goldberg's, uh, statement at the beginning <laughs> that it's been quiet. Uh, it has not. We had a lot of things to talk I, about. I think it's just cause I worked yesterday and today wasn't particularly, particularly loud and compared to last That's week. That's true. It just felt very quiet. That's true. We did get the, the, I guess, if we're talking about scheduling stuff, we got the Timbers preseason schedule. Uh, They will open camp next week, uh, exactly eight days from today. Next Wednesday, it looks like we'll be their first training uh, of 2018. Uh, And then they're going to play a whole bunch of uh, preseason games. But we knew that. Okay. Anyway, Jamie. Uh, Jamie is sitting just on the other side of the internet from me. Uh, She, uh, of course, does outstanding work for OregonLive.com and The Oregonian. I'm Chris Reifer from Stumptown Footy. This is Soccer Made in Portland. Thank you all uh, for your questions. You can find us most weeks, I will say, from here on out, uh, both on OregonLive.com and on Stumptown Footy. If you want to subscribe, you can do that on iTunes and Stitcher. Thanks for for your questions. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the hopefully not quiet a week or weeks that intervene between uh, when we see you again. Uh, And then we will see you again. So as always, uh, until then, until we do see you again, take care.